Hey everybody, before we start this episode, we just wanted to say something. One of the big ideas behind this movie is that music has the power to bring people of different ages and cultures together. And with that, they have created a fantastic soundtrack of amazing artists and songs. And I just wanted to encourage everybody to check it out. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And without further ado, here's the show. You ready, Jay? Ready, D. Okay. This is the story of Bill and Ted Face the Music. Hello, everybody. And welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Colvin. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Last week, we covered Bill and Ted Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And today, we are here to talk about the third long-awaited installment, Bill and Ted Face the Music. This is kind of a new deal for us. We don't typically do new movies. We never do new movies. Like the newest movie that we've done is <laughs> still like seven years old or something like that. How old <laughs> yeah, is Man of Steel? Kinda... 2013, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to we had to watch this, study it, cram for it, and now we're podcasting about it. Right. And this not being a nostalgia piece is going to be a little bit different. I think a lot of people are probably tuning in to learn, is it worth the watch? And so maybe that's a question that we can answer now. I'm going to go ahead. I mean, I'm good to answer it. Are you good to answer it? Yeah, I am. I'm going to say yes, worth the watch. Absolutely. A resounding yes from me. Yeah. So now that we've said that, be aware that spoilers might be coming along along the way. We'll try to, for the first little bit, give you information without doing spoilers. But at some point, we're going to give the air raid siren of spoiler alerts. So if you haven't seen it yet and you want no information like I do, you can know that Jason and Dee give it our stamp of approval. Go watch it. I will say be prepared in the beginning to think it's a little fishy, but then once you ease in and don't stress out about it, it becomes it becomes a fun little ride. Right. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the goal of the movie, I saw a quote from Ed Solomon. Their goal was to make a movie that's fun, funny, and sweet. And with that goal in mind, they achieved their goal. Absolutely. And the other thing to note is I watched this with my 13-year-old kid and felt good about it. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's it's rated PG-13, and really there's a couple of... I don't even know what the... I was sitting here struggling. I was just like, there's not profanity. There's not sexual anything. I mean, they barely peck their wives. It's just, I couldn't figure out what the PG-13 was about other than kind of the, the rough scene in the prison. That's about all I can see. I, I mean, can think I guess. I mean, he, he says the word dickweed a couple of times, but that's but that it. was a PG rating back in 89 and 91, right? Yeah, I guess. Anyway, yeah, I, I watched it with my 16-year-old. He laughed and we had a great time and it was a it was definitely a bonding, nostalgic event for me, but just kind of a fun night for him. And so, yeah, I, I think it's pretty, pretty tame to watch with the kids. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. I mean, cleaner than any Marvel movie for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, so I mean, we're just going to kind of give an abbreviated uh, walk through this movie. I think the interesting part that we need to discuss, this movie, the incubation for this movie has been at least 10 years long. Yeah, yeah, probably close to 12. They had they had a script that they were ready to work with, ready to put onto film back in the before 2010. But there's, I mean, they've had issues with financing and distribution rights and, and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, it's been a long time coming. And then in 2000, 
2018, we got confirmation that it would happen. And then filming finished up last year. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, I mean, really, unfortunately for them, they uh, released it at one of the worst possible times in movie going history. This movie definitely was impacted by the coronavirus. Oh, yeah. That that truly sucks. So the budget on this movie was $25 million. Uh, their opening weekend, which was just last weekend, it's just been this week, they were at about a million point two in right. box office, which I don't know how you... I mean, this movie came out in some theaters, but for most of the world, we're watching it on on demand. Like yeah. I watched it through Amazon Prime. Right, right. Me too. Me too. Okay, so interestingly, you mentioned 2010. Um, this is way back when 2010, this 10 years ago, Keanu Reeves indicated that Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon were definitely working on a Bill and Ted 3. Some of the ideas that they had involved in this was time travel to the prehistoric era. Yeah. Okay, they thought... At that time, that that Socrates, you know, Socrates would be back. Yes. That Billy the Kid would be back, uh-huh. and they were expecting a cameo from Eddie Van Halen. Oh man, that would have been awesome. You kind of called that on the last episode of "Wouldn't It Be Great" because Eddie Van Halen had said after Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure came out that he would have been happy to have been a part of the movie. And I mean, there was a huge opportunity for that to happen. I guess they just they couldn't work it out. I'm really sad. That would have been super cool. Yeah. And, you know, that groundwork was laid back in 89, and for that to come to fruition would have been amazing. But I'm not sure Eddie's in the best of health right now. You know, he's definitely not very active musically, which that would have been really cool to see. Well, ultimately what they did, once they they were full on about it, they uh, started pushing social media a lot. I know I heard about it first on Twitter. And then they did just earlier this year, after they had finished the movie, they did this contest for people to submit videos of themselves playing along to one of the songs from the movie. And as it turns out, those people are in the movie. That's really, I wish we'd have done that, man. That was a blown opportunity by us. Yeah. I don't know how good I can dance, but (laughs) I would have loved to have had a little bit part in this thing. Oh, that would have been so cool. So that is a crazy credit. Another crazy credit that I just found out about is that there's a post-credit scene of Bill and Ted in the retirement home and like the old folks home jamming out. Yes. So yeah, hang on for the post-credit scene. I watched it. Jason got distracted before. Before he watched it all the way through, but yes, there is a post-credit scene where they're playing some guitar. Just a couple of more notes about the the incubation period on this movie. The interesting thing to me is that the studio did not want a sequel. Like the studio was like, "Hey, let's if you guys want to do a Bill and Ted movie, let's just reboot it and start over." Oh, and Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon and Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves were like, "No way, man! This needs to be a sequel." Yeah, which. To me, I'm like, listen, I mean, Keanu Reeves is a full-blown movie star yep. now. Why yep. would you want to, I mean, he's he's ready to go, and these characters were successful. I, I don't know why you would fight that idea, but. Yeah, well, I'm glad that they won that battle because a reboot would have been the wrong thing. I mean, it would have been, it would have been Bill and Ted's excellent TV show from back in 92, which was just horrible. <laughs> is horrible. I never saw it, sadly. You didn't miss anything. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> the the director of this movie is a guy named Dean Perso. He has been attached to direct since August of 2012. Oh, wow. Well, and he did movies like Galaxy Quest and Fun with Dick and Jane, which to me, I mean, that's the right feel. You know, you that kind of quirky, absurd 
humor is exactly what Bill and Ted need. Yeah. I mentioned to you some of the interesting producers on this movie. Yeah. So as I was watching the post-credit, before I bailed on the post-credit scene, <laughs> I mean, some of the producers are Ed Solomon, yeah. right? He's the writer. Alex Winter, he plays Bill. You have Steven Soderbergh, who is an executive producer. Yeah. But William Sadler is a producer. That's the guy who plays Death. Yeah, Grim Reaper. And he is a predominant part of the movie. You, you, you mentioned, you know, who is in the movie. The only people to come back are Bill and Ted and then Ted's dad, Captain Logan. Yes. Hal Landon Jr. So yep. Hal Landon Jr. is how old? He's nearly 80. He's pushing 80. You know, he looks about the same as he did in 1988, <laughs> poor guy. So Amy Stock, she's the girl who played Missy in the first one. Yes, I mean, Mom. I mean, Missy. Yeah. <laughs> right. And now she's marrying Deacon, Ted's younger brother. Right. And that makes he left Napoleon behind because he was a dick. <laughs> Before we roll into the plot parts of the movie, let's talk just a little bit about the actors in the movie because that's we're not spoiling anything by that. Playing the part of Ted's daughter is Bridget Lundy Payne, who hasn't been in a whole lot of other stuff. She actually is the daughter of a couple of uh, musicians, Laura Lundy and Robert Payne. They both are performers in the Bay Area, and she considers herself more of a uh, pop artist than an actress. But oh, okay, um, cool. She plays Billy, who is Ted's daughter, and then Bill's daughter is Thea. She is played by Samara Weaving, who has been in quite a bit of stuff. As a matter of fact, I was. Literally yesterday, I'm walking through my living room and Brock is watching this movie that I've seen him watch before that I just thought was horrible. But I, as I'm going through, I'm like, I know that girl. Who is that girl? The name of the movie is The Babysitter. Don't let your kids watch it if they're under the age of like 15. But she is The Babysitter. She's one of the main roles in the, in the film. Interestingly, she is the niece of Hugo Weaving. And if you don't recognize that name right off, he was the Elf King in Lord of the Rings, which I know you don't care for, but he was also in a movie in 1999 where he played Agent Smith. And that movie was called The Matrix. Oh, Starring Mr. Out. Keanu Reeves. I have to think that Agent Smith must have put in a good word with Neo so that his niece could be a major role in this movie. I'm going to be as forthcoming as I can be, Mr. Anderson. You're here because we need your help. And oh. she did a fantastic job. I'll just yeah. say that. I think she was she was fantastic in the role. And so those are your major players. Yep. And then for some smaller parts that honestly, to me, made the movie. You've got Anthony Kerrigan, who I'll come to in just a second. Yeah. You've got Aaron Hayes. You've got Jamia Mize, Holland Taylor, and then Jillian Bell. So I'll start with Jillian Bell. Jillian Bell is the psychiatrist. Yes. She does a fantastic job in her part as a psychiatrist. My 13-year-old thought she was maybe the funniest part of the movie. Wow, okay. Um, Holland Taylor, you you will recognize when you see her. Jason, where did you where do you remember her from? So I'm looking at her, I'm like, man, I know this lady. She is from Romancing the Stone. She is Joni's friend who tries to talk her out of going to Cartagena. Uh-huh. And she was old, I thought, in 1984. Well, 
I recognized her from Bosom Buddies. Oh, man. She's like the old boss in Bosom Buddies. Wow, okay. That's a <laughs> long time ago. back then. I mean, that's like 82 or something. Wow, I mean, <laughs> okay, cool. So, yeah, so she plays the great leader. You've got Beck Bennett, who you probably will recognize from Saturday Night Live. He's playing Deacon, who we mentioned is marrying Missy. Yeah, Deacon marries Missy, yeah. And then you have the two princesses who are once again played by different actresses. We've had different actresses playing the princesses in every single movie. Jamia Mays plays Princess Joanna. If you've seen Glee, she's like the love interest of the music teacher in Glee. And then Aaron Hayes plays Elizabeth. She was in the TV show Parenthood, which is, of course, based on the movie Parenthood, which, of course, is the other very Ted-like part played by Keanu Reeves. Yeah. I've seen some people complaining that it wasn't the original princesses. These yeah. girls do a great job and they look great and, and they're they're beautiful and they pull off the English medieval princess and all that stuff. I was a little bit sad, especially Diane Franklin. Yeah, is, she's kind of an iconic 80s girl because of there were several like John Cusack. Um, she was in Better her. Off Dead. She was in Last American Virgin. Yep. She was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And she's on Twitter. She's very active. She's still beautiful. I, I think they could have maybe used her and that would have been really cool. Right. But the ladies that they have playing the princesses do a, I think they do a good job. They did do a good job. They didn't have a lot to work with and we can talk about that in a minute, but it felt like there was probably supposed to be more with them that we just didn't get in the movie. Yeah. And then back to Parenthood, the TV series, there's another actor, Anthony Kerrigan, and he plays the part of Dennis Caleb McCoy, who if you've seen the previews, is the robot in the movie and, to me, is the best part of the whole stinking movie. My only regret is there was not more of him. Yeah. He was very funny at all the right times. It made me laugh. One last note on an actor, and then we can dive into we can dive into the plot a little bit. Full on spoiler alert: there is one last actress, Kristen Schaal. She plays the part of Kelly, who is Rufus's daughter. George Carlin is obviously no longer with us, but they did a nod to him, and uh, his real daughter's name is Kelly Carlin. And so, for his daughter in the movie, they had uh, the character renamed Kelly as well. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> All right, are you ready to dive into the plot? Let's dive into the plot. Okay, full-on spoiler alert, everybody. Here we go. We're going to start talking about the plot. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it now. Come back to us afterwards. So this is a movie of Bill and Ted's midlife crisis. They have reached middle age and they have not created the song that would unite humanity and bring world peace. And as I mentioned in our last episode, how many guys our age are in that spot where you're like, man, I felt like my life was going to be so much more than this. And here I am not living up to the potential I thought I had. And so what makes it even worse for these guys is they were flat out told they're going to save the world and it still hasn't happened yet. Right, right. So 
they are at the beginning of the movie playing for, as we mentioned, Missy and Deacon's wedding. We get a retelling. I got to say, I start. I said at the beginning, this starts off kind of slow. And I thought that having it start off with the wedding was a bad choice. I think just uh, you got to have a little bit of a punchy action at the beginning of the movie. I mean, at the very beginning, the daughters describe what we already know has happened in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. We get a, you know, a montage scene on that. Right. But then it goes to this wedding, which is, I mean, the guests are bored and it's kind of painful and I didn't really want to start the movie off that way. And then they, again, they rehash some stuff that didn't need to be retold. Yeah, you've kind of got to tolerate the beginning of the movie before it picks up. Yeah. And you prepped me for that and you were right. When that, that song that they sing at the wedding, there are yes. some people that I think will bail at that moment and I'm like, that's, that's going to be a mistake. Uh, I got to say, I actually really like the song. I was on board with <laughs> with Thea and Billy. I was like, that, this is actually good. So you have, you've got Keanu Reeves. You know, they weren't musicians at all. Like they had no idea what to do until the very end of Bogus Journey, where they ran off and learned how to play guitar for 18 months. That's right. But by the time we reach present day, they're playing three or four different types of instruments at a time and Alex Winter starts <laughs> starts with this vocal there's a band I really this is true there's a band called The Who and it's not WHO it's just HU they're out of Mongolia and they do this throat singing thing it's kind of a mix between rock and roll and throat singing I've actually seen them live <laughs> my dad loves them and he was like hey you I got tickets to the concert you want to go I was like sure dad i'll go to a concert with you we've never done that before and so we get to see these guys do this throat singing rock and roll music and i that was fantastic okay Ted, you're, you're endorsing the song at the beginning of the movie absolutely Keep i know going. the guests hate it but i loved it i loved it and, and ted is playing the theremin which they give him props like billy and thea give him props for later on <laughs> so he's playing the theremin and they give him props saying saying you know you did great it was uh it was a whole lot like clara rockmore and he's like oh thanks clara rockmore was a big inspiration and <laughs> she's Nobody knows who that is. You know, that's <laughs> random information. I had to go look it up, but she was actually a proficient theremin player, actually got asked to be married by the guy who invented the theremin, which wow. that instrument, it has some rock and roll history. It was a Led Zeppelin instrument. We had our podcast interrupted a bit ago when my kids started playing the immigrant song at full volume upstairs. <laughs> and I couldn't get too mad at them because at least they're listening to Zeppelin. That's right. But uh, the rest of the crowd hated it. It was a little slow. It was a little boring and it needed to be pepped up. Yep. Well, reality is folding in on itself. Time travel has caused this disruption. And so there's a scene where Jesus is at the Last Supper and he's plucked out of the Last Supper and Babe Ruth is up to bat and he's plucked out of the baseball game. George Washington is plucked out of crossing the Delaware and uh, Kid Cuddy, who I didn't know who he was before I watched this movie. And so they're all switched around. You know, yeah. George Washington's up to bad and, you know, it's it kind of moves people around. And so the reason we find out later that all this craziness is happening is because the universe is falling in on itself because Bill and Ted have not created their song. Uh -huh. So Kelly shows up to bring them back to the future where they meet the great leader 
And they find out that not only do they not achieve world peace and the unity of humanity if they don't perform their song, reality will cease to exist if they don't come up with their song by 717 that night. That night, like an hour from, yes. you know, from the 77 from the minutes. Yeah. And I mean, curiously, we, you and I discussed there's a major plot hole, but who cares? It's a Bill and Ted movie. If they don't solve this problem by 717, re- reality no longer exists. Yes. But they jump to the future and they jump, they jump around. Well, it's, it is, they have Kid Cudi do these kind of brief explanations of the different theories of time and space. And this is definitely not a sp- time space continuum thing. They even mentioned at some point in the movies, their movie, there are infinite futures connected to infinite pasts and there is no one or other thing which is how they kind of negotiate the whole process of this movie but i mean even in the very first bill and ted he has they have to stay on time ted has to wind his watch because somehow time is still going even though you have a time machine i don't i don't know how it makes sense i'm not going to try to explain it right but i think the idea is Things are proceeding to a certain point, whether you're in the past or in the future, because we have characters from the past and characters from the future who will all cease to exist if they do not perform the song, which gives it a good deal more weight. Yeah. But then they discover not only that, but their wives are going to leave them. Yes. Which to them seems almost more heavy. There's that word again, heavy. Yes. Yes. Oh, and also the great leader from the future decides that their death may actually be the fix in reality. So she sends a robot after them to kill him. It's like the Terminator, basically. I'll be back. Right. Well, we mentioned in the last episode that Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out the exact same weekend as T2. And so how appropriate. I I mean, I even mentioned it then. Robots from the future coming back to kill somebody to, to change the outcome of the future. It happens again. They have a robot (laughs) who they send back to terminate Bill and Ted because that may be the solution to the destruction of reality. I know we don't want to give everything away. Let's give people a chance to see this movie, but the Terminator develops a conscience. He's kind of like Pinocchio, (laughs) right? After failing to do what he's been asked to do at a couple of junctures in the movie, he starts feeling sad and telling everybody his name is actually Dennis. Dennis Caleb McCoy. Dennis Caleb McCoy. Oh, it's so good. I don't want to try to say anything that he says, but I've just got to say that guy is hilarious. It's so funny. (laughs) And it's like the rest of the gang just tolerates him, right? All right, (laughs) let the robot guy come with us. And, he just and he's very game. much like he's very much the way that death was in Bogus Journey, where yeah. like he's this imposing figure at first, and then he just kind of becomes this awkward along for the ride kind of guy. Yep. It was cool when you said, let's rock, because it made me want to rock. Uh-huh. You don't just get to rock. You go to earn the right to rock. Yep. And they nail that tone, and then but and then they actually go back to hell. Yes, the whole group gets killed. Sorry, I gotta spoilers. say this is my favorite part of the movie. Is I mean, other than the than the Dennis the robot parts, but when Bill and Ted find Thea and Billy in hell, yes. and they're like, "How are you doing?" And they say, "Well, we're dead, and we're in hell." <laughs> and they and then the Bill and Ted go. 
but how are you doing? And they're like, oh, yeah, good, good. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so in hell, death has been demoted. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's just kind of hanging out. He got in trouble for letting people go up there. Instead, they should be down here. And, yeah. and when they show up and knock on his door, you can tell there's some hard feelings at the way Wild Stallions ended. Yes, it is a very 80s hairband scenario for wild stallions the band has broken up and there's some very hard feelings after many years still associated with that event yes. um, but my gosh that's that is some hilarity and so glad that william sadler came back he is probably my second favorite part of this movie does such an incredible job so funny so funny and and like i said this is this is just pure sweet fun you know but just showing up there's a lot of nostalgia and they reunite with death their buddy from bogus journey and it's it's like i don't know it's like scooby-doo or something they just kind of pick up friends along the way and they're solving these problems and they're moving on so so we'll just to give you a, a, a full picture of what's going on, as Bill and Ted move back and forth, or actually move into the future, talking to their future selves about the song that they know they must have written by now, they keep running into trouble. And the future selves are pretty hilarious along the way as well. Um, That's my favorite part in the movie. When they jump forward two years into the future and they meet the two-year-ahead uses. Yes, and the the two year ahead uses are like, why don't you write the song yourself and quit trying to steal it from us? <laughs> Ted to his older self, Ted, he's like, you're a dick, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that part is, cracked me up. It is good stuff. They run into themselves in four different futures: two years ahead, yes. five years ahead, yes, ten years ahead, and then it looks like about forty years ahead. Yeah. When they're in the old folks' home. So two years ahead was funny. Five years ahead was hilarious. They go to meet these guys, and they appear to be very successful rock stars with British accents. And they they chase them around this house, this mansion, and it turns out to be Dave Grohl's house. Flashback <laughs> to our Nirvana episode. By the way, Nevermind was released two months after Bogus Journey came out. Oh, wow. And then, and then they go to San Dimas Prison, 2030. So they're all buffed up in jail. They have huge muscles. Yeah. And it's 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 almost ridiculous. It's you know, it's Chuck E. Cheese like, uh, <laughs> you know. It's absurd. It looks good, but it looks absurd. It's absurd, too. but yeah, but it does. But so they have these tattoos, and I, I paused it and I actually read the tattoos on their body. Uh huh. So. Some of their tattoos say, one says excellent. They both have wild stallions. Uh, one has heinous written on them. <laughs> and then Keanu Reeves on his stomach has Elizabeth and Billy written on his stomach. That's awesome. So while they're going through the future to try to find the song that they're supposed to write, their daughters, in an attempt to help them, are going to the past, gathering musicians of the past to have the greatest band in history. Let's and talk so about the they musicians. They acquire Jimi Hendrix. They acquire Louis Armstrong. They acquire Wolfgang Mozart, Amadeus Mozart. Then they do this weird thing where they get Lin Lung, who is a mythical figure who is said to have invented music from back in ancient China. And then they go back to like 11, 
thousand BCE to get some cave woman named Crumb, who is supposed to be the best drummer of all time. That one was a bit of a stretch for me. Um, I don't really know why they had to do that. I don't know how you're going to know about a drummer from prehistoric times, given that no writing existed. But whatever, you know, that's the point of the movie is you don't right. have to explain it. That's right. right. That's what Bill and Ted is really all about. You go and try to explain hell based on Bogus Journey, and you're going to be floundering. It's the right. same idea, right? The girl who plays Grom, the cave woman who's the best drummer in history, yeah. is played by Patty Ann Miller, who's the real-life drummer for Beyonce and Cela Green. Oh, nice. Well, yeah. that makes it a little bit better, I think. I'd never heard of Ling Lun before, so I got a little bit of education out of it. But certainly to me... The choice of the, you know, one of the greatest jazz musicians of all times, the guy who redefined rock and roll guitar and Mozart, who is arguably the best composer of all time, all solid choices. And when you have that scene where uh, Jimi Hendrix is playing out in the street while Mozart is playing on the harpsichord up in the sitting room and Jimi Hendrix is matching him note for note. I thought it it was a throwback to that song that you love from Excellent Adventure, Come Play With Me, where Nuno Benincourt is playing classical style on the electric guitar. Yeah, that that scene gave me chills. I haven't heard great electric guitar like that in a while, and that was really cool. Yep. So once, once once they're doing that, so when Mozart comes out, his first line is, which literally translates who is the horniest sow here but apparently in german translates to who is the coolest bastard here yeah hey wolfie jimmy he's obvious it's it's nice to see mozart being obviously impressed with Jimi hendrix and so they gather up the band they ultimately meet up in hell and then we reach the end of the movie and i won't tell you what happens but the only thing I was going to add is I believe that the demons that they meet in hell, the nice demons, yes, are Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson. I am sure of it. I knew that they were going to be a cameo in there. And when those guys popped up, I was like, oh, there they are. I knew it was them. I haven't looked to verify, but it's got to be. It's got to be them. Okay. That's cool. That's a great part, too. <laughs> and I did want to mention this, that uh, there is just a little tidbit, a little Easter egg. We talked about the Easter eggs. I got a couple of Easter eggs for you. Yeah. So- at the scene when the great leader says, you have everything you need to go make the song, go make the song. And when they walk up, there's a, there's a bunch of instruments, including the two guitars that they got at the end of, of Excellent Adventure, ready for them inside the display case. From Rufus, yeah. From Rufus. And there is a battleship game on the shelf in Death's apartment. And if you recall, Bill and Ted beat Death in a game of battleship during bogus journey you have sunk my battleship excellent yeah so this is alex winter's first like non-cameo kind of appearance since freaked in 1993 he has been a director and producer since that time um and so to prepare for this role he actually took acting lessons again well good for him he did a great job i have no complaints at all Awesome job. Well, and so we might as well talk about it here. Okay. There are, there are two complaints 
that I have with this movie. Okay. First is that the beginning drags and unnecessarily so. I think they could have done that better. Okay. The second complaint that I have in this, with all due respect to the actor and the star power of Keanu Reeves, he didn't smile. It wasn't. I mean, he, he was he was the less of of the two Bill and Ted of the of the Bill and Ted pair. He, he has he has this awkward moment where he's like, when they suddenly realize that real reality is going to end, he's got this moment where he's like. We'll save reality as we know it, uniting humanity across all time. Wait, I'm sorry. What? (laughs) (laughs) So that, that moment, I'm just like, oh, Keanu, (laughs) what are you doing to me, man? Oh, man. So we okay. talked last. We talked about last episode how they used to just tell them more Labrador, right? Right, they right. Fun and happy and goofy. In this movie, we have our good old Labrador and Bill. He's an older Labrador, but he's still a Labrador. Yes. Somehow, it's turned into a constipated basset hound. <laughs> uh, I think you're being a little bit hard on him, but I do agree with you. you guys. You and I talked off air. I don't think he smiled like the entire movie. Yeah. He, there is no Labrador. So at, in Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, Bill actually gets mad at Ted for talking about Missy and his dad, getting it on in his bedroom. Yeah. He finally is like, shut up, Ted. And he, he looks stunted for a second. And then he breaks into this humongous Labrador smile. We don't see that Labrador smile the entire movie. Right. But and he does have some funny moments. I'm, I'm not going to trash him. I thought that he did the, uh, the pissed off Ted pretty well. You know, he was, he w- here's what I'll say about this for the spot that they are in life. It may not be too far off. I mean, I've known plenty of people who were, happy-go-lucky people when they were in high school who have turned into kind of jaded, upset folks. And to, to start the movie off, Bill and Ted are struggling. They are, yeah. they are playing to, to groups of almost nobody. And Ted ultimately is the one that said, hey, I went to go see how much they would give me for my guitar at the, at the music trade. Yep. He was ready to be done. He felt like he had given up. He had lost hope. And I said last movie, you know, this midlife crisis idea is kind of a push. I mean, it's kind of the underlying theme, but I don't know. Maybe it's just too much or maybe it needed to be there. Maybe it's right that they that he be sad. Um, he, I didn't think it was awful. Like, I, it wasn't painful for me to watch him as an actor. I just thought man just a a hint more of the labrador that he used to be at some point in the movie would have been good i agree but to to touch on something that kind of moved me as i watched this especially the second time i watched it when you think about we as grown men who have kids who have looking at where we are in life and we think of all of the things that we failed to accomplish that we thought that we would we have this beautiful moment in the movie and i don't want to give too much away but you look at your kids 
who maybe you saw making all the same stupid mistakes that you did and then suddenly you realize that they're wonderfully brilliant unique people who may just end up saving the world yeah and that's a great that is a great portion of this movie that we can dwell on all the things that we haven't accomplished and miss out on what we have done That's great, man. That's great. You make me cry at the end of this thing. <laughs> I'm going to watch it again and I'm going to tear up. I'm going to tear up every time I see that point in the movie again. <laughs> oh, and it's interesting that you have that moment with Ted's dad as well. Yeah. Ted's dad starts out at the movie saying, you never time traveled. You never went to hell. You're still just a couple of losers. And now your daughters are losers too. And then, spoiler alert, they meet up with him again in hell. He realizes he's wrong. He's like, and, you know, that means that you did time travel. You did go to hell. And I owe you an apology. I'm sorry. You get this great moment where Ted and Captain Logan hug. And he's like, thanks, Dad. And then Bill goes, yeah, thanks. (laughs) Captain Logan goes, I wasn't talking to you, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I really enjoyed the characters that they picked up along the way in this movie. They picked, you know, you've got Captain Logan, like you said. They they pick up Dennis Caleb McCoy, the robot Terminator. They get Death. They've got Kelly, Rufus's daughter. They've got Billy and Thea. Plus, you get all the musicians. it's, It's really a lot of fun. Before we go, and I don't mention it because we have to mention it anytime there's an availability to mention it, on those closing credits where you see all the people dancing, there's a cameo appearance by the one, the only, Mr. Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, are you serious? Yes. Is he going to make every podcast we ever do? I hope so. we got to have Muppets <laughs> Weird Al every single time. And happy birthday to Keanu Reeves. We're actually recording on his birthday. Yeah, he's 57. He, I'm pretty sure he's had facial hair for about the last 25 years. Long time. And it was weird to see him without facial hair. It was. It's like watching Sean Connery and Never Say Never Again. <laughs> right. Can't remember what it's exactly smooth. like that, actually. Yeah. Wow. Same age, right? Yeah. Well, he was 52 and Never Say Never Again. Oh, my gosh. So Keanu Reeves is five years older than Sean Connery (laughs) when he came back after 12 years to finally play James Bond again. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. Hey, throw forward to our upcoming episode, James Bond of the 60s versus James Bond of the 70s meet in the James Bond movie of the 80s. Okay. I think it's time we can move into Final Judgment. Okay. You want me to spit it out first? Yeah, go. I'm dying to talk about it. Go for it. So this is the first movie released after COVID-19. We have not had any movies in movie theaters since March of 2020. And I'm so glad it's this one. It's funny. It's interesting. It's sweet. It's family. It's nostalgic. I, I enjoyed it. I watched it three times and it wasn't a chore. I had so much fun. I love the characters. Bill and Ted are still sweet, although we want a little more Labrador. They were still fun and funny characters. Their daughters were pretty good. I didn't fall in love with them, but you know, good. I love death. 
I love Dennis Caleb McCoy. I thought Kelly as Rufus's daughter was funny, and Captain Logan was great. Characters were funny. The plot was good. It's not Oscar winning, but I had a great time, and that's all I can ask for. And I'm super excited to share it with my family, and I had a great time. D. Okay, so I came into this movie with low expectations. We throw some stuff out there on Facebook, and we had one person who left a comment referring to it as garbage, and I've seen another couple of negative comments since then. So my expectations were pretty low coming into it. And as we've said a few times now, at the beginning, I was like, ooh, okay, this is, they're going to have to pick this up a little bit. But they did it. They picked yeah. it up. They brought it along well. Things start clicking along at about 15 to 20 minutes in, which is a great time to really get the action rolling in a movie. And then once I was done with it, I started thinking about it in relationship to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Those are not Oscar-winning movies. Right. Those are movies that are simple, fun. They don't. You don't have to think. You don't have to you know, fix all of the plot holes because there's many in all three of these movies. This is really about simple fun. If you just think back, like I, when I was watching them in the future, I was just like, wow, okay, obvious green screen, pretty, I mean, th let me say this. The special effects were worse than Jurassic Park, which was made back in the 90s. Right. But I think they might've been a little bit better than Justice League. <laughs> they are uh, mustache the, the computer graphics are apparent right but yes. let's put that aside think about what the people were wearing at the beginning of bogus journey it looked like they were all in foam that somebody had cut out at the high school play i mean it was right. it was terrible costuming it was ridiculous and so don't i mean this movie had a budget of 25 million dollars don't expect Star Wars. Don't right. expect that kind of amazing movie. If you come in thinking, I'm going to have a fun time with my kids watching a movie that I don't have to worry about what they're going to see, you're going to be satisfied in this movie. I enjoyed it. I will watch it again with the whole family. Um, and when I did watch it, I watched it with my 13-year-old, who was the only one that watched Excellent Adventure with me a couple of years ago before we ever knew that this movie was coming out. And he's never seen Bogus Journey, and he enjoyed the movie as well. So is it worth the watch? Absolutely. Going to win an Oscar? No. Am I going to rewatch it probably multiple times like I have with the other movies? You bet. It is good, clean, late 80s, early 90s style fun. Awesome. We want to hear what you think. Did you guys love it? Hopefully you didn't hate it, but uh, but but shoot us a review. Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter. Send us an email. Let us know what you think. Absolutely. And we truly appreciate you guys tuning in. We're getting so much positive feedback. Uh, speaking of kids, we had... So we got a comment from James Buckley, and I'll paraphrase a little bit here, but he says, I cannot emphasize how much I love your podcast enough. I was born in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s were my high school and college years. I have been enjoying reliving these moments, and my daughter is discovering all these new things with me. We go home and watch the movies that you guys talk about, and it is a wonderful bonding experience. And I was just like, wow, 
that's I mean, that's exactly what we needed. And this is the perfect movie to talk about it because it's about the relationship between parents and children and how even though we're different, we can we can still enjoy things together. That's awesome. Thank you, James, for listening and and shout out to you and your daughter. We don't know her name, but hey James's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I want to give a quick shout out to a good friend of mine. You know him as well, but uh, he and I are, are close friends. Tristan Martin. We have, if you've ever seen The Talking Dead, it's a TV show that they sit around and discuss the episode right after the episode airs. So every time we have a podcast drop, Tristan listens and then calls me and gives me feedback and we discuss the way through it. So just really good to have a friend who is that interested in what what I'm doing and and takes the time to listen and takes the time to give me feedback and and uh, just really appreciate him. He's a good good friend of mine. Thank you, Tristan. Appreciate you. I'll give that I'll give that same shout out for Arlen Bullard. We've mentioned both of them in podcast past, but it really means a lot to have a friend that will listen to your show and then talk to you about everything that you did right and everything that you did wrong. Uh, yep. <laughs> After the sh- after they've listened through and then keep on listening, it's it's great. But we we thank you all. We hope you keep listening. We've got lots of fun stuff planned for the future, and um, for now we will sign off. But please let us know how you feel about face the music, and please tell your friends about us. If you're enjoying us, please let other people know because the bigger the family, the better. We could sure use a five star review on Apple Podcasts if you are so inclined. Hey, one more thing before we go. All right, so D, you've given your opinion on Face the Music. We both loved Excellent Adventure. Yes. Bogus Journey is somewhere in there as well. Let's rank these one, two, three. Where are you? Okay, this is interesting because when we released the episode about Bogus Journey and Excellent Adventure, I thought everybody was going to be on the same page with us. Excellent Adventure is obviously the best, and Bogus Journey is good, but it finishes second. We have had a substantial response of people who said Bogus Journey is better, and I applaud the idea. I mean, they talk about how they went in a completely different direction than before. They were more literary. It was it was an amazing piece of work. So where does this fall for me? I love all three movies. They're all uh, they're all wonderful. I actually am going to have to say I like this movie better than I liked Bogus Journey. Excellent Adventure will always be number one for me. It's got just too special a place in my heart. Bogus Journey, when I rewatched it, I enjoyed it, but it didn't have that same nostalgia for me. Watching this one, I felt like they tied the, those two movies together very well. And so this will be one that I rewatch more than I watch Bogus Journey. So it's got to be Excellent Adventure number one, Face the Music number two, Bogus Journey number three. What are your thoughts? Okay. Nothing will dethrone Excellent Adventure, I don't think, ever right that that's the best bill and ted movie that that one is so much fun so that's obviously number one for me i'm going with face the music number two it edges out bogus journey it's not a big discrepancy but i just had a little bit more fun watching face the music so i i would say it's one three two and three and two are close yeah and i think that that's really what you that's the best you could have hoped for with number three anyway all right love to hear your feedback on that yeah tell us what you think all right jason d been fun join us next week for james bond (laughs) come join us for our sean connery versus roger moore discussion where we talk about octopussy and never say never again in the 80s looking forward to that and in the meantime be excellent to each other party on dudes 
all music images and movie clips are used for the purposes of commentary and education in conjunction with the fair use agreement under the U.S. copyright law.